Welcome to the Antioch Austin podcast. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you. For more information about Antioch Austin, please check our website at AntiochATX.com. Hi, Antioch Austin. I am so glad to be able to share the Word of God with you today. Thank you, Liz and JD, for having me. I'm so excited about Antioch Church in Austin and what you guys are doing to advance the kingdom. You have a fabulous staff. I know so many of your members, and so way to go, Austin. Well, today we're going to be sharing the last message in the series of Esther. And so I'm excited to share what I believe the Lord has showed me for us just to move forward in our community through her story. You know, when I was younger, did people always ask you, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? Even as adults, sometimes they'll say, what do you want to be? What did you want to be when you were younger? Most of us said a nurse, a doctor, a policeman, or something like that. Well, but after I said superwoman, of course, um, the person who I said when I was younger, and I still keep it in my heart today, is I wanted to be like Mary Kay Ash. Now, I don't know if y'all know her, but that's Mary Kay Cosmetics. I somehow was able to watch her as a young girl. I saw her speak and it was riveting to me. Here is this powerful woman, so articulate, so beautiful and feminine, and she had built this amazing company and she loved Jesus and she used her resources to advance the kingdom of God. And I have always held that in my heart and so I really liked her. And then now, as I've learned more about her story, she was the most successful entrepreneur woman of our day. In fact, um, she went through discrimination because in her day, there were not very many women in business and certainly not anyone really running businesses. And so she was with one company and she did so well, she got 150 women to sell home products in the company that she worked for. And her commission was so high that the executives didn't wanna pay her and so they moved her to Dallas. And then when she found out they weren't gonna pay her, she started with another company. She did the same thing, she did incredible and they were threatened by her. She was discriminated against for promotions because she was a woman, these kind of things. And so finally, she left and started Mary Kay Cosmetics. She had $5,000 and that was all she had to her name to start this company. Well, she died at 83 years old in 2001 and her company has 1.6 million salespeople. Imagine that in 37 different countries and makes over two billion with a B a year in annual sales. So she was a phenomenal woman. But if you look at her life, she had some heartache. I mean, she was a, the oldest child in her family. Her father got tuberculosis and she had to care for her father and her younger siblings because her mom had to work two and three jobs to keep them afloat. She married at 17. Unfortunately, went through a divorce after she had the three kids and that catapulted her as a single mom having to find work and went into the business world. She, her second husband died really quickly after they were married and then she outlived her third husband. So she suffered rejection and pain and death of a spouse and also being ridiculed as an outspoken follower of Jesus. She, they actually called it the cult because she was so outspoken about her faith in Jesus and integrated the scriptures throughout her company. And so to me, she is someone to really celebrate. Well, 
We are finishing our celebration of Esther. She's an incredible woman, as you've already seen. And I'm gonna take some time to kind of recount that dramatic story of how God worked in the story of Esther to bring about his purposes and his destiny in the lives of the people in that story. This young woman to me is a lot like Mary Kay and that she had to overcome a lot of obstacles and a lot of heartache and she had to face courageous things that she didn't know what was going to happen and yet she continued to walk through that and just was marked with God's favor and provision. And so I know in the past few weeks you've studied wonderful lessons from this, but I want to capitalize and really show the few lessons that I've seen. One is she had favor and wisdom is just integrated throughout this story. Courage, you see very bold displays of courage. And divine timing, that's another character of God you see in this story. And most importantly, that everyone has a part to play in advancing the kingdom of God and implementing justice. And so great, great things happen in this story. So as an overview of the story, we know that the book of Esther, that it's so unusual that they don't mention God. It's the only book in the Bible that they don't mention it. But God is interwoven throughout the entire story. We absolutely see his hand of grace in this story. We see him behind every scene, coordinating where people are, just provoking Mordecai to adopt this orphan and to provoke him in wisdom. It's the wisdom of God that shows him what to do. We see divine favor, all kinds of principles of God working in everyday people in their everyday lives to enforce justice. So we see that in the book of Esther that there is this incredible party, a 180 day party thrown by King Xerxes. And we know that at the end of the party, he calls for Vashti, his queen, to come and he wants to display her beauty and she says no. And so what happens? She gets banished out of the kingdom. Well, we know that his advisors came and they said, hey, let's throw a big beauty pageant. We'll go out into the provinces and the villages and we'll bring the most beautiful girls and pick a new queen. Well, in that time, we know that Esther, is chosen to be one of these girls that leaves. And so Mordecai, and you see this man of God who saw this orphan and he adopts her and raises her as his own. So he is provoked by God to do that. He had no idea the destiny that Esther had, but he did that first thing in God and brought her in. And then when she's being taken away to the palace, he uses that wisdom of God and he says, don't tell him that you're Jewish and don't tell him about our relationship. Why? Well, somehow Mordecai was walking with God and he had that spirit of wisdom to be able to tell her those things that were important at the time. And so she didn't. Well, we also see that Mordecai frequently goes to the palace and there's different situations that we see throughout the story of Esther that she does that. But particularly in Esther chapter two, we see that Mordecai is at the palace and he overhears two guys plotting to kill the king. And so he ends up getting that information to the right place at the right time so that the king's life is spared. And the scripture tells us that they recorded Mordecai's involvement in that rescue really um, in the book of Chronicles. And we'll see why that's important later. So the other players, we have Mordecai, we have Esther. The other players in this story that are so significant are the eunuchs. 
We don't hear much about eunuchs, thank goodness, in our day. But back in that day, there were servants um, in the palace and in different areas. They could move around pretty freely. And there are three eunuchs that are really significant in the story of Esther. And they play a key role in God's favor and provision through Esther's life. She couldn't have made it where she was without them. And so we're going to see that theme of what people did in their different areas that brought about the justice. And so one of the eunuch's name is Haggai, H-E-G-A-I. And he helped Esther become queen by doing the beauty treatments. He put her in the best place in the harem. So just favor. He just had, saw her and she had the favor of God on her and so she got the best place. And then when she went before the king, he gave her instructions because he had been around. He knew what the king liked and that's what got Esther to be queen. But Esther was wise in that every step of the way, she listened to her mentors like Mordecai. She listened and had a relationship with these eunuchs that helped her. And then another eunuch was Hatash, H-A-T-A-C-H, and he related messages between Esther and Mordecai. That's what the scripture tells us, and so there was a relationship there with her. And then Harbanah, and what we know about him is at the end of the story, when Haman, the bad guy in the story, is he built a big gallow to hang Mordecai because he hated him. Well, at the end of the story, when we find out that actually Haman's the bad guy, this is the eunuch that said, hey, he built this to hang Mordecai, let's hang him on it. Kind of a bad deal, but what you can see is that all three of these eunuchs, Esther had favor in their eyes and they used their influence, their skills, their position to help advance the kingdom in a way that brought justice for the people. Well, the favor of God is so important. It is a God thing. and. I look at it in people's lives. It's something I pray for, not only in my own life, but I pray for it over Unbound because favor is to help people. And I, I think of a story, I don't know if, if you like T.D. Jakes, but I happen to really like T.D. Jakes preaching. In fact, if you come over my house sometime, especially on a Saturday when I'm cleaning, I crank up that TV and I do his preaching really loud. I really enjoy his preaching. But he tells the story about being in West Virginia in a really small church of less than 200 people. He was reaching out to prisoners. He was doing Women Now Are You uh, Loose. He was preaching the Word of God and just doing it on a smaller scale. And then he got invited to go preach in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So he went and he preached. There was three preachers, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. He had the Thursday night. Nobody knew who he was. And he preached his message. And then this preacher in Tulsa actually had a TV program on TBN, the Trinity Broadcasting Network, which is nationally and internationally. And that preacher decided to play seven minutes of each of these preachers on his show. And so he did. Well, the engineer that was going through it, he's the one that picked out that seven minutes. T.D. Jakes had nothing to do with that. And the owner of TBN, Crouch, he happened to come home when that show was being played. He happened to hear T.D. Jakes seven minutes. And what T.D. Jakes said during that time was talking about showing your wounds. And it happened to be a time where 
Crouch was really seeking God about being more vulnerable and about sharing some of the heartaches that he had been through as a child, and it just resonated with him. So he reached out to T.D. Jakes, built a relationship, had him come on his show, and then the rest is history, as they say. God has used him so much, and now, because of that platform that he has and that faithfulness, he can reach so many more prisoners. He can do so many more things um, because of the message that's in him. But it was because of the favor of God in his life. And so it's a very important thing for us. Well, Esther, chapter 2, verse 17, we learn how the king loved Esther more than any other women. And she carried charm and favor before him more than the other virgins. So he placed the royal crown on her head and made her queen in place of Vashti. Again, tremendous favor on her life. Favor is from God and favor is to help more people. Psalms 512 says, For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. Psalms 90, 17 says, Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of your hands. I love that one. God, we need your favor so that we can do the work that you've told us to do. Joseph, if you look at his life, he had favor with the Pharaoh and that put him in a position where he could save the Hebrew people. So favor is from God to help more people. I lead Unbound, our anti-human trafficking um, organization that's based out of our network of Antioch churches. And we, uh, I'm so thankful for the work that we get to do. You know, we just kept hearing more and more stories that there are 40 million people that are exploited in our world. Every country has laws against slavery and every country has them. In fact, we got a letter one time from some missionaries that were in Nepal and they trekked back into this village and they found that there were no girls in this village because a helicopter came over and took all of them to go across to India to put them in brothels. And I remember just going to my office, just crying, going, we need the people of God that will be there and say, you will not take my girls. It's, it's unbelievable what's happening. And so when we do our work, we pray for favor because we need the favor of God to be able to find these victims, to be able to get in schools and do the trainings that we're able to do. We've been able to educate across Texas 40,000 students on how to stay safe about the social media. They need these lessons. We talk to them about all kinds of things that they deal with that I better not say because children may be watching, but it's important messages that the church is able to get in and talk to them about some of these things. We need favor with our law enforcement partners and we go on stings with them so that we can be there when these victims are recovered. We have favor with the DA's office so we can sit with those victims providing the support they need so they can stand in trial. We've been in there before and locked arms elbow to elbow so that a trafficker can't stare down the 16-year-old that was behind us. And all of that has to do with the favor of God so that we can do the work of the kingdom. And I'm so, so thankful for it. You know, sometimes people will say, the church really doesn't need to deal with these justice issues. You know, poverty and homelessness and trafficking, like stay out of the way. And you'll hear that. In fact, in our, in our um, office um, in Fort Worth, there was an organization that um, came to see our director there, and they said, we really didn't want to work with you guys because we knew you were Christian, but you're doing some of the best work, and so we got over it. 
So it just shows you what the climate is like out there. And there, why? Why We've got to prove ourselves that as the people of God, we walk in the wisdom of God. And we are not there for ourselves. We are there to protect those that are most vulnerable. And that's what Esther ended up doing. And I'm so thankful for that. Justice is a primary theme in the Old Testament and the New. And we see that Jesus in his mission, he always provided for those that were in poverty, the captive, the blind, the oppressed. In Luke 4, 18, 19, we see that so much. Those that are marginalized, he was there to serve and to help. And it's clear as Christ followers that we are called to do justice, that we are called to take action and confront evil that happens in our world. And justice has been our call from the very early church. It was in the fourth century that the first orphanage was, orphanages were founded by Christians because the children were being left. It was the Christians that established hospitals and schools. And so it's important that we understand that it has been that way since the beginning of time. It's what the Word teaches us. And if you look historically, the churches can do some of the best works in our community. And the reason for that is because we have brilliant, amazing people in our congregations. They have all kinds of different skill sets. And we're motivated by our faith and obedience to Jesus because it's for Him and it's for them. And collectively, we have these skill sets, but we also have meetings where we can communicate things that are happening. We have training schools. We have collective um, human resources to have a volunteer army and even financial resources when we come together to make an impact. And that is an important thing and a gift to our communities. Well, we see in the story of Esther that God has a heart for justice. It is just integrated throughout the whole story. And the links that God goes through to see just ordinary people like you and like me dismantle an entire structure of injustice. It's amazing. Well, Esther is just like us. She was fearful. She was tempted towards persevering, you know, just kind of preserving her individual security and keeping her role as a wife and queen and not making herself known, not putting herself out there in danger. But she had to overcome that. She had to overcome her self-interest and she had to risk because it was about the larger community and not just her safety and security and position. And justice defined means to make right. I love that, to make right. It is seen so much in the story of Esther that it was not right that these people were going to be annihilated and they needed someone to stand up on their behalf. And we see that so much in her story that government was restrained and that a whole people group were saved and flourished. We also see in Esther chapter 3 the bad guy and Haman is in a place of authority. He's like the prime minister. And this is such a lesson to us that we can use the position God gives us for good and it helps people, it, it puts people in good positions so they can help more people, or we can use it for evil to be manipulative and controlling and prideful and that brings destruction. And Haman was like that. He absolutely despised Mordecai, that godly man that adopted Esther. And why? Because everyone bowed down to Haman because he was so prideful and wanted them to do that. And Mordecai wouldn't do that because of his conviction of honoring God and not man. And so Haman 
hated Mordecai and he wanted to kill him. And he, he and his 10 sons built that big old gallows so that they could hang Mordecai on it. And literally the story is so interesting that the day, timing of God, the day Mordecai, I mean, Haman goes before the king because he's going to say, hey, can I kill that Mordecai? And here's my reasons. Literally, the night before, the king couldn't sleep. So he asked for someone to come and read him from Chronicles. And in that, he hears about this Mordecai and how Mordecai intervened to save his life. So the next morning, Mordecai, I mean, Haman comes in to say, can I kill this Mordecai? But before he says it, the king says, who, how should I honor someone within our kingdom that I want to honor? And so Haman thinks, oh, it must be about me, right? Because he's so prideful, it's always about him, right? Well, he says, oh, put your best robe on him and bring him across the city in your stallion, your nicest stallion. Well, guess what? He said, great, you do that for Mordecai. Can you imagine? Haman is furious and he has to take his arch enemy and just show him off to the whole city because that's what the king wanted him to do. So that was a rough day for Haman. But it just shows us, you know what? God is got our rear guard. He is the one that goes before us. And I don't know what you're going through, but all of us at some point in our lives will go through people pushing back on us, criticizing us, you know, even persecuting us. I mean, there are things that happen that are super, super challenging. Things talk about us. People talk about us, things like that. But we just got to keep our eyes on God and his mission, and he'll take care of those evil influences around us, and he did in this case. And so this is what he finally, the end of the story, which is so amazing, is Haman is out to kill the Jews because he wants to kill Mordecai. So he convinces the king, without telling him all the details, that he wants to have an edict because he says, hey, these Jewish people, they do not do our customs. They're not for us. We need to get rid of them. And the king just flippantly signs it. And so Mordecai hears about this, that this edict is coming out and it will annihilate the Jewish people. And he says, Esther, you've got to go before the king. And she's like, I can't go unless the king asked me, or he could kill me. I could die. And here's those famous words in Esther 4, 13 and 14. Do not imagine that you can save yourself in the king's palace from the fate of all the Jews. For if you remain silent at this time, whew, hear the Spirit of God. What is God calling us to that he says, church, don't be silent in this day. I need you to step into this. I just live with the fear of God in that. To whom much is given, much is required. Wow. He says, relief and deliverance will come from another place, and you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Wow. Who knows if God is working in your life, giving you favor, experiences, putting you in places of authority and positions so that you can help advance the kingdom of God and enforce justice in our city. I see God doing it so much, and it's just incredible. Well, we are sometimes given divine moments so that we can alter circumstances. And we need more Mordecais. You know, the Mordecai is that someone who is in a position that he sees the potential of others and he uses that to promote someone else. Just like I gave that story about T.D. Jakes. You know, this little pastor in Oklahoma put him on his show and then the 
TBN says, hey, this guy has a message of God. Let's put him up. We've got to work together and hear God. Who is he calling us to get behind and really strengthen so that we can advance the kingdom of God? We've got to be sensitive to him and really listen to him. You know, most of us know the song, I Can Imagine, I Can Only Imagine. And if you know that story or watch that movie, which is so amazing, it's a true story of how Bart from Mercy Me wrote that story from his life. I can only imagine. But he had given the rights to that song to Amy Grant. And they were literally at a concert, and I was reading about this again, and she was fixing to sing that song for the first time publicly. But she's quickened by God to say, you know what? This is Bart's song. And so she calls him up unexpectedly to sing that song, and it is what catapulted him to have the platform that he does. I am not talking about famous people. I mean, I'm like, hey, generation, let's stop trying to be Insta-famous and YouTube phenomenal. I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying, where has God placed us? What skills has he put on this? How do we champion each other to be at the place that God has for us to have his divine favor, to be in that divine moment so that we can advance the kingdom of God and enforce justice? That's really good. And interesting about that song is it is the best-selling single of all time, two and a half million copies, and it's blessing so many people. Amazing. He was faithful. He did his part, but he couldn't have done it unless someone used her platform like Amy Grant to say, no, it's your turn. You come up. So how can we be Mordecai's in each other's lives? How can we promote each other? We need to do that. Well, we know in Esther's life that courage had to kick in because she was nervous saying, I'm going to die. But finally, she says, I will go before the king and if I perish, I perish. You know, sometimes to stand in courage means you don't know what the outcome will be. It may be failure. It may be loss of income. I don't know. But God causes us to be stretched lots of times. I mean, J.D. and Liz had to leave their home of Waco with their parents and the, all of that. And they left the familiar to come plant a church in Austin to advance the kingdom of God. That takes courage. God calls us to places of courage. Well, she wisely asked um, the king and Haman, we know the story, to come into the banquet, not once but twice. So she is walking in wisdom of God. And she finally says to him, when he says, tell me what you want, because she's kind of buttered him up because he's the party guy. Remember the 180 party? So he wanted the parties. Well, she's like, the king says, what do you want? And he said, my people, the Jewish people, myself and them are going to be killed by this Haman. Can you imagine the terror in that guy at that moment? The king is so mad, he goes out into the garden. And then so Haman literally falls on Esther trying to beg for his life. And the king walks in and he really doesn't like that. And that's when Haman gets hung on the gallows that he built. And, I mean, what you sow, you reap, right? And he makes Mordecai the prime minister. And you know, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. That was the right call. And I, I believe God has righteous people that he's called into different spheres of society so that we can enforce justice. And this is a great story with so many principles that we can learn for. This is the timing of God was perfect. I mean, you can see the timing of God throughout the whole thing, the divine appointments, the favor and justice prevailing. Well, I love this story. We can see so many different people in it 
the book of Esther describes the Jewish heroine Esther, how she saves the Jewish people in Persia from total annihilation during the reign of King Xerxes. But it's our instruction and our manual for each one of us playing our part in society. We see that Mordecai, all he did was follow God and he adopted this orphan girl. And then the next step and the next step and the next step of that nurturing for her to become all that she was created to be. We see Esther just listening and bit by bit taking that next step, taking that next step so that she could be used by God in such a profound way. We see the eunuchs, you know, servants, they're the background people, but Esther never would have been in that place in that position to save her people had it not been for the eunuchs. So never despise the place of service that God has you in. We are all strategically placed in his hands for sure. Don't be moved by the Hamans in your life when there's people that are out to try to kill, steal, and destroy you. Just don't be moved by them. Keep your eyes on Jesus and his purposes because God will have the last word if we will continue to walk with him. And then even the king. I mean, we know there's things about him that weren't right, but God used that king in his position because he's the one that had to take away that edict. He's the one that had to put a righteous man in that position. And so we need righteous people in authority and need to continue to pray for that. So we all should live purposely. No matter where you are, no matter where you are in your steps, whether you're a student, where you're a child, whether you're a mom or a single or someone you know, working out in the, in the um, corporate world, God has a purpose for you. Look for the people around you that you can promote because God is very strategic about where he puts us every step of the way. Be sensitive to his leading. Be willing to leave your comfort and your safety on behalf of others. That's what Esther did. As fully devoted followers of Jesus, God works in our life and he fills us with compassion because he sees the hurts and pains of our society and he will provoke us and provoke the church to make sure that we are out there seeing that justice prevails. We've each got to take our part. We see that throughout history that God used the church as pioneers, meeting the greatest social needs of our world. The church was the first one to build and to staff hospitals to care for the sick. The church was the first one that started schools because they looked out and saw children that were illiterate and said they're destined for poverty if we don't teach them how to read. And so they started Sunday schools to try to stop that area of poverty. And then they started all these universities and that's the history of so many of our universities across the world. And we know in the late 1800s, there was an orphan crisis and it was a pastor that said, we've got to do something. And so there were 30,000 orphans in New York alone. And he got the vision of the orphan trains where he put them on trains, had them go throughout the US, stop in towns where the pastor of that city would go get them and try to get them into Christian families that would raise them as their own, teach them about God and keep them in school so that they could have the life God had for them. It wasn't perfect, but there was over 250,000 children who were saved out of being orphaned because of that man of God and the churches doing their part. So I would just tell us that the church is God's gift to our communities and to the world, that we are the hands and feet of Jesus, that we are compelled by our 
passion of Jesus to bind up the brokenhearted, to set at liberty those that are captive, to be a part of the church is to be a part of God's active, compassionate plan for the hurting church until Jesus remains. We are filled with the Holy Spirit who leads us in wisdom and he loves through us. Our communities and our world need the church to engage in God's great compassionate mission. When the church steps up to address needs, our communities are blessed. If we do it in excellence, we do it in others first. We do it and we champion and understand and partner with community agencies and we respect what they bring to our community on behalf of the marginalized that we serve. And we do it in the name and the authority of Jesus and his love, then our communities will notice. We've seen that firsthand at Unbound as we worked in our community. By simply responding to obedience and compassion, we've had the opportunity to speak to thousands, to be featured in the front page of the newspaper, to frequently be in the news. We meet with political officials and we gather the influencers of our city to lead in a coalition that helps the marginalized and those that are trafficked in our community. We have seen over 400 victims and survivors helped through our work at Unbound. God is calling us, the people of faith, to love and to serve our communities wherever these needs are. The church gets a bad reputation when we are withdrawn, disengaged, and judgmental of our community. But when we act in the compassion of Jesus, Doors are opened and our communities get to see the church created for them. In 2 Corinthians 5.20, it says we are ambassadors of Christ and God makes his appeal through us. I think this courage takes action and it's different for each one of us. Today, I'm asking God to speak to us afresh that he would move us with the good news and the love of Jesus to make disciples in all nations, to preach the gospel, to love extravagantly, to serve like no other, and to engage with real needs in our community. And lastly, I pray that you will know to live in the compassion and the favor of Christ is to be rooted and devoted in God's compassionate action plan for the world and that's his church. Thank you so much for having me. I pray that you will see the favor of God on your lives, that it is to help others. I pray that you will see that all of us can be a Mordecai to see who fits where and how do we fit together to bring about the biggest blessing in our community. I pray that you will not shrink back when it is dark, when it is frightening, when he calls you out of your comfort zone, because I believe he will. We have people on our teams. We have attorneys and all kinds of people that have left what they normally did to say, I cannot take people being sold in our cities on my watch without me doing something about it. So stay tuned, listen to God, and let's see what he's going to do through the church.